So a man comes to church on an Easter Sunday. After the service, he walks up to the pastor, and he says this. He's like, well, great service, pastor. He says, will you pray for my hearing? And the pastor's all excited because it's Easter Sunday. He's like, yeah, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the resurrection power. And so he gets in that prayer mode, and he starts praying. He puts his hands on this man's ears, and he starts praying. In the name of Jesus, with the resurrection power, I, I command healing. And he's just so full of himself and full of God and everything. And he gets through this. You know, you know how long pastors pray? It's going on. And he's just asking and interceding and hoping and wanting and praying. And, and, and finally he comes to an end after about five or six minutes. And the man looks perplexed. And he's like, mm -mm. how's everything? How's the hearing? He's like, well, I actually wanted you to pray for my hearing tomorrow at 1 a.m. or 1 p.m. <laughs> Welcome to Journey here, everybody. No matter what you've done last night or where you've come from, you are welcome in this place because we believe that God can heal physical hearing and that hearing that you need to go do tomorrow at 1 p.m. So we are excited about what God is doing and how he is working in our lives. And we are foolish enough to believe that someone that's from this world can walk into this room, into this place. We are foolish enough to believe that they can be resurrected and their life can be turned upside down or right side up in the power of God. How do I know that? Because that's what happened to me. And we believe... That love can change the world. You know, at the sunrise service at Jenna and Teresa's, my brother-in-law gave this beautiful message, 1 John 4, about love. That God is love and love transforms us. And so we are on a mission from God. Yes, we are like the Blues Brothers. And we are on a mission. If you guys are under 30, you have no idea what the Blues Brothers are. But this crowd for knows for sure over here. We are on a mission from God to love the world one person at a time. We love them right into the arms of the kingdom and Jesus Christ so that they can become passionate world changers for Jesus Christ. That's the idea, that you get radically saved and become radical in your faith so that someone else can say, hey, look at this person in their life, and it all starts from my brother-in-law this morning talking about love and really loving what the Apostle Paul says. We believe that. We are doing this sermon series, and today's the final message of the upside-down kingdom. And here's the idea. Is the world upside-down, or are we upside-down as Christians? The world looks more and more upside-down to those that have faith, does it not? And all we can do is engage with it with love, because that's what the Bible says. Our church is built on love. Mark 12, 30 and 31 is the mission statement of this church. And it says, love God with all your heart and soul and everything that you have and love others. Not just your neighbor. Neighbors are good. I don't know, not all of them. But it also says love your enemy. It just says love others. And so that's what we're doing today as we are trying to love others. Now, the upside-down kingdom is interesting because it's looking at, we've gone through uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians a couple times, and the majority 2 Corinthians, pulling out some paradoxes. And here's some paradox. Here's the, a definition of paradox. A paradox just means this, something seemingly absurd or self-contradictory, a statement that expl when explained 
proves to be true. Now, we've got a list of them up on the screen. You can see some of these statements, and we've walked through a couple of these. The way up is down. What does that mean? If I want to get closer to God, I get down on my knees and I pray to God. The way up is down. How about this? The first are the last, and the last are first. Think about that when you're on an airplane. Nobody's that way. How about this? The least are the greatest, not in our society. The poor are rich, and the rich are poor. That's what we talked about week one. And here's the thing. I've been a couple of different places in this world, and some of the poorest families offering us their last bit of scraps or food had the best lives I've ever seen. Because they didn't care. They weren't worried about 401ks and, and Teslas and how my stock's doing. Not that that's bad. They were just worried about what today's food was going to be and what tomorrow was going to be like. It's a different lifestyle. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate. How about this? You gain life by losing it. We'll talk a little bit about that today. When you are exalted, you, when you are exalted, you, uh, what? You are exalted when you are humble. You are exalted by being a humble servant of how about the weaknesses and strength? Last week we talked about on Palm Sunday, weakness is actually strength in the kingdom of God. That's a crazy paradox. It's not what we believe. How about this? You rule and raid by, uh, by leading or serving. Now here's the thing. I want you guys to know this about the staff here. Every one of the staff are unbelievable servants, people on the board and everybody around it. And it's built, this church is built by people serving and we've got cuts and bruises over the last few days because they want to serve you in a way that the king would serve you. And so you, you rule and reign and lead by servant. This is a servant-led church. And finally, you receive by giving. Now, here's the paradox today. If you need a victory in your life, maybe you're on a six-day or six-week or six-year losing streak. If you need victory today, you're in the right place because we're going to talk about the greatest victory of all time. And his name is Jesus Christ, because he is risen. So let's talk about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, his name used to be Saul of Tarsus. And at one point, the Apostle Paul, as he was heading to kill Christians, got radically saved, and his life flipped upside down from a killer to a Christian that is one of the foremost writers and preachers and church planners of all time. And we read a lot of his stuff in the Bible because his stuff was so powerful that it's timeless to the churches. So his life is radically saved. And so today we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. He's writing to a church in Corinth. And what he's doing is he's communicating to a church in Ventura County because Ventura County needs to wake up and see that God is moving and that he is risen and the power of God is going to start to shape and transform and we believe at this church that there's going to be a volcanic explosion and God's going to be here that's why we moved the two services not because we're ready for it but we believe that God is going to do something crazy in Ventura County and we want to be right in the middle of it so here's the beginning. So the Apostle Paul in the first part, I'm going to skip the first 17 verses. He's talking about how foolish it is for a church to be divided. Whatever you believe on the outside, when you walk in, we're all unified in Jesus Christ. Whatever you believe politically or socially or whatever, you walk in here and you're like, Jesus Christ is above all. And we believe that because he is our senior pastor. First of all, I don't like being called a senior at all, though I'm creeping really close to that. When you're getting stuff from AARP in the mail, you know you've hit rock bottom. And so... Some of you know what that means. 
Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to start at verse 18. Here it is. It says, and this is Paul writing to the, uh, a church. He says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. It's foolish. But we who are being saved know it as what? The very power of God. So this is a paradox here. For one, it's the stupidest thing. There's a sky daddy who's bloodthirsty that just wants our money. It's a scam. But to the others, are you kidding me? This is the greatest day in history because it's the very power of God. There, there, there's the opposites here that we've got to dig into. And here's the idea here. Each are a work in progress. And this means you can be saved and be heading towards destruction because you're walking away from the principles and, and the tools and the word of God. Or it can mean that you don't believe and you're just walking blindlessly and God wants to open up your eyes so that you can see this new day dawning. But those that are being saved, it's incredible. I've been weeping all morning because of the power of what God has done just for me. I'm not, it's going to sound terrible, I'm not even thinking about you. I guess I should be. That's my job, but uh, better take a. So here's the thing. No apostle, so Jesus dies, goes to heaven. No apostle would ever talk about Jesus and his miracles and how he lived without talking about the cross and the resurrection. No believer today that wants to share Jesus Christ, if you don't talk about the cross and you don't talk about the resurrection, you just talk about the way he lives, you're not really talking about the, 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 the gospel because here's the gospel in itself. And uh, at the end of this message, I'm going to put a picture up. My friend in Israel, well, man, this guy was so passionate. His name's George. He sent me a, a, an email from Israel uh, uh, yesterday morning and talking about the risen. I'm going to put a picture up from him. And it's just a, a picture. But this guy was the most passionate man in Bethlehem preaching the gospel. An Arab Christian, so powerful, so strong. And he just loved Jesus. And I was just so excited that I put his picture up today. So that's for you, George. Hopefully you're watching. So here's the gospel message. We sang the song, King of Kings. It's like, Jesus was born a virgin. Why? He needed a pure vessel. And purity, for the most part, is sexually. We need to learn to be pure in the way. So they needed this vessel that was pure. So she was pure so that the God could put this child in and she could birth a child that was pure. And then he came to live only to... His whole life was to die. He knew I was at a, uh, I did a life celebration recently. I'm like, we are all dying. We're heading to destruction or dying. And Jesus knew that. And what would it be like if you knew that you were dying? And I don't want to talk about it because it makes me sad because I know we're all going there. But the idea is he came to die. And because of that, he lived a life that was incredible, not just because he was God, but because he knew that was the end and that was going to change everything. And then this, this Wednesday, a group of us, the high schoolers, were out at my house and we watched the Passion of the Christ. And here's, here's what happened. He was accused. He was mocked. I mean, they were spitting in his face. It was disgusting. He was bruised, he was beaten, he was whipped with the, the, the cat's tails. It was ripping off pieces. I, I couldn't even watch. It was horrible. And then he was sentenced to death. And at one point they asked, do you want to get rid of this guy who was guilty? 
Or do you want to get this guy that just says he's king of the Jews and they took the guilty man and put the innocent man on death row? And that's the cross. That's the gospel. And Jesus was nailed to the cross and put up there and died. But I want to go back to what Tara read because I love that place. I love Matthew. So here's the message. Early Sunday morning. I'm talking about where we were this morning. It was early when we did this sunrise service. Early Sunday morning. As a new day is dawning. Do you know that a new day is dawning for someone today? Someone here is going to experience a newness. And it's not just salvation. It's breakthrough. It's transformation. It's a life flipped upside down. It's a commitment. It's a plan. It's something that's going to change them. And hopefully at the end, they're going to have Christ as their firm foundation. A new day is dawning. And not only in here, but online as well. Because we have a lot of people watching online all over the world. It said Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to visit the tomb. They were broken and they, they were scared and they were sad. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat in it. His face shone like lightning and his clothes was white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. A little bit later, the guards in Matthew chapter 11, these same ones are bribed. And I'm going to challenge you to read that later on your own. Then the angel spoke to the woman, don't be afraid. And you know what? When God moves in your life, like if you come to church and sometimes you feel awkward, like something like next week going to talk about sex and it's going to feel a little bit awkward, that's probably God working on you. And the Holy Spirit doesn't always feel warm and fuzzy. Sometimes it's changing and wrestling, and that's fear. Don't run from that. Realize what the Bible says. Don't be afraid of that. Because there's good news coming if you allow that Holy Spirit to work deep within you. And then the angel said, don't be afraid. And he goes, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. You're looking for Jesus, but here's the thing. He isn't here. Why? Because he is risen from the dead. He is risen, and that is the greatest thing that the world has ever seen. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And here's the best part. It's just as he said it would happen. Do you guys realize that? Jesus predicted three times that he was going to die, and they're like, well, yeah, we are all going to die. No, I'm going to die, but I'm also going to come back. And when I come back, things are going to change. The world is going to be upside down. Or the kingdom of God is going to reign and the world needs to shift back to, to understand Christ. Come and see where his body is lying because he isn't there. They want proof. And now go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And I'm hoping when you leave today, you're going to go quickly to wherever you're eating and tell one person that he is risen. Even if they're a believer so that they can feel the power and glory of God. And now go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. And you will see him there and remember what I have told you. Here's what I want you to think about today. That a new day is dawning. So will you guys stand? I'm going to get silent for uh, 30 seconds and that's really hard for me. And I just want you to pray. Just pray that God speaks to you right now and does a new thing. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for that early morning sunrise and that new day that is dawned. We pray that the message of the cross becomes our destiny and the resurrection becomes our eternity. Lord, we pray that resurrection power revitalizes and changes hearts and souls and breaks people free. The mind will be set free. The heart will be set free. Your forgiveness will reign and your love will transform. We pray this in the power of the precious name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says, amen. amen. He is risen. Amen. And so now the Apostle Paul continues in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians verse 19. He says, as the scripture says, here's the thing about the Apostle Paul. He was trending or trying to become a, 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 a Sanhedrin, which just meant he was going to become a ruler of the, of the church uh, of the, not the church, the Jewish religion. He was going to be a Pharisee and, uh, and the Sadducees, and that was the Sanhedrin, and he was going to try and be the high priest. That was his goal. He was very educated. And here he's bringing in Old Testament stuff. He's pulling stuff from the Old Testament because it works with the New Testament. He says this. This is what Isaiah writes. He said he's prophesying about what this new king or what Jesus is going to do. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, discard the intelligence of the intelligent. That's the wisdom of God. That's the paradox that we're talking about. That He's going to take what we believe is important and he's going to flip it up sign and discard it so that he will do foolish things, but will really be powerful and amazing. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, with spiritual things in your life, so think about it. With the spiritual things in your life, God opposes the wisdom of man. But here's what we do as humans. Here's what we do as Christians. There's something going on, and it probably is spiritual, and we go to Google, or we go to man or woman, and ask and, and seek, but we don't go to God. And so with spiritual things, he's like, I want to get rid of wisdom because man is going to put you in the box and the doctor is going to say, it's, it's finished. And God's going to say, I'm not done with that person yet. Because God is bigger than the box and what man can think. And so Paul says, he destroys the wisdom of the wise. Don't bow down to that. Don't bow down to that. And we are going to spend the next several weeks talking about how faith is, is, is being destroyed in our culture and how we are going to rise up in faith and not try and kill culture. We're going to love them into the kingdom of God. Yeah, exciting. So now Paul then says this in verse 20. This is a cool verse. He says he want, he want, people want to dispute. Maybe you're going to go to uh, that backyard or out to lunch and someone's going to want to dispute. We love to dispute and solve things with, with human wisdom. Especially some of you men. You're supposed to just listen. I don't know if you know that. You're supposed to just listen. I know. It's going to take a while. I got all girls. Trust me. They say, how was your day at school? And 45 minutes later, we're still getting up at 7 in the morning. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Can you email me this? I just moved to the place that I just said, how was it? Fine is okay, and then we'll move on. Verse 20, so where does this leave philosophers, scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. It's upside down to those that don't believe. It looks ridiculous. Why would you go to church, and why would you worship someone on a cross? Verse 21, since God in his wisdom saw that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he used foolish preaching, can I get an amen, to save those who believe. I'm a fool. Listen, 
Several years ago, almost 16 years ago, I sat next to Jim and Sue in a church just like this. I was sitting there. I didn't have anybody to sit with, so Jim and Sue let me sit with them, and God just started speaking to me audibly. And I just used to sit in church just like you. And today, I'm foolish enough to believe that the power of God can use me still to preach a gospel message to the world that is hurting. Here's the simple point of what Paul is trying to say. There is no man, wise man, no scholar, or no brilliant debater that can prove to us that there's someone greater than Jesus Christ. Mahatma Gandhi, Buddha, Muhammad. There's no one on this world, when you put them up toe-to-toe, there's only one that's the greatest of all time. There's only one that's the greatest in this world. And you can put any person, Mother Teresa or anyone, but Jesus is always going to rise above. You might think they get close, but he catapults far beyond anything that the mind can understand because the, the point is no one has ever done anything like Jesus Christ. So let me speak to the doubter. And I'm going to tell like a... 20-minute story in 30 seconds, which is impossible for me. This is from the resurrection power. I got locked up several years ago. And someone handed me a Bible, and I go, okay, God. And then my mom came, and she said, read the Bible. My church is praying for you. That's the beginning of the story. But at one point that night, I'm like, God, if you're really real, do something. And you know what he did? He did something. And I'm like, ah, that sounded good, but is it coincidence? So I challenged him again. God, do something then. And then you know what he did? He did something. And then that night I'm blown away and I'm like, is this real, God? If this is really real. And then he did something else. I got down on my knees and I made a commitment to this. To this is God. Now, this is the human side of Jeff. I said, God, if this is really you, I'm going to commit to you for one year. This is my commitment to him. I'm going to commit to you one year. And if it's not working and my life's not changed, I'm going to go back to the miserable life that I have right now. And you know what? I don't even know when that year date was because it's never had to, I've never had to look back because of what life has given me. Don't clap yet because I've lost two best friends. I've had some horrible things happen to my kids. Horrible things. We've had financial problems in our family. We've had struggles grow in the church. We've had persecution from people. But listen, I've never had to turn back because God and God's hope and God's love is far greater than anything that I've ever gone through. And so that's why I'm foolish enough and I'm speaking to the doubter. All you've got to do is give God a gear commitment. And look, there's a, there's a song Josh Baldwin sees. I see evidence all over my life. All I can do is commit to God and say, show me. And then I look and I'm like, all over my life, I see evidence. Friday night, I was at Good Friday. My old Friday nights, I was wheeling, scheming, and drinking, and using. And that's a miracle because my natural habitat is to destroy my life. But because of the resurrection power, I see evidence all over my life and who Christ is. We need to investigate when you doubt, I'm speaking to the skeptic, I'm speaking to the doubter, the one that's just like, I'm just here for the pizza later, or I'm here for the ribs. You got to do a little bit of investigation and look for the truth. You guys have all heard Lee Strobel. If not, look it up, Lee Strobel. He's an investigative reporter. He goes out, his wife comes to church, gets radically saved, 
And he goes home, honey, I'm going to church. And he's like, this is the dumbest thing. He's like, it's a hoax, it's a scam. I'm going to prove her wrong. And every time he thought he found it, he got proved wrong himself. And now he's a believer. He's got tons of books because he did the work, he did the investigation, and he found there's only one thing and one faith that stands above all others, hands and feet a million times, and that's Christianity. And if you need to see the book or see the movie, it's on Netflix now. You will see that if you do investigation, you will also see things change. Now, here's the thing about doubting. You can't really be a doubter and do nothing. That's called rejection. If I doubt and I do nothing, that's rejecting the truth. But if I actually doubt, and it's okay to doubt. Listen, if you have doubts about God and what he's doing in your life or if he's really real, it's okay. But do some investigation. Look for the facts that are out here. And here's some homework. Matthew chapter uh, uh, 28, I just read, verse 11 to 15 talks about a conspiracy between the Romans and the Jewish people and bribery. Look it up. Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 to 15 talks about it. And from that point on, there's a conspiracy about Jesus Christ and his death. You got to look it up. I'm not going to read it for you. Verse 22, it is foolish for the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. If you've seen some of that or read your Bible, they're like, if you're really the Messiah, that one of the, the, the priests in the Passion goes, if you're really the Messiah, come off that cross and show us. Jesus wasn't going to come off the cross because the cross was more important than showing this man what he thought who, who God was. And so he said to the Jewish, they asked for a sign, and to, it was foolish to the Greek, Greeks who seek wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended, and the Gentiles Gentile say it's all nonsense. That's the message. You walk out of here, there's a bunch of people that are against you, and all you can do is love them and show them how, how, how much better your life is, even through the worst things in your life. Thank you, brother. Here's the thing. The Jewish people weren't looking for the cross. They were looking for a burning bush. They were looking for a Christ in a scroll. They were looking for a Messiah through the traditions and through, through rules and regulations. But really, God sent Jesus and he sent him to the cross. They were looking for something else. The, the Greeks... They were on this pursuit of wisdom. They loved to pontificate and question everything. And, and their gods, they were glorious and they ruled Zeus and, you know, Aphrodite and all these Greek gods. They wanted these brilliant gods. And you're giving me a cross, blood, and a, and a resurrection? That's ridiculous. Do you know what kind of Greek mythology we believe in? You see the conflict? We tend to rationalize God away. They were both looking for something other than what the truth was, and they missed it. And listen, don't miss it today. And it's not just for salvation. It's about being transformed and your world being radically changed. Sometimes Easter service isn't just for salvation, but it will be. But it's also for people to stand up and say, I'm going to have Christ as my firm foundation, and I'm going to commit to him and watch him roar in my heart, maybe for the first time ever. So listen... Easter is not about the tomb. When we were in Israel, they said this. Easter is not about the tomb. I've been to the tomb. I've been there. And I walked in, and guess what happened? There's nothing in the tomb. It's not about the tomb. It's that there was nothing in the tomb. That's what Easter is. If there are bones in the tomb, there's no power of Jesus Christ. But without bones, there's resurrection power because he's not there. 
You know where he's at? He's risen and he's in heaven and he's coming back. That was a little loud. But listen, again, there's no other religious leader in the world ever since the beginning of time that doesn't have bones in this world somewhere, in some cave or in some grave, in some part of the world. We're talking about Mohammed. We're talking about Buddha. We're talking about even Moses and, and Abraham, the great faith, the pinnacles that we believe in. They have bones in the ground. Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa, all these great people, you know what? They have bones in the ground. But when we go to the tomb, and there's a question if it's, if it's the garden tomb, but it's probably the Holy Sepulchre, doesn't matter. Jesus isn't there. We don't have to worship that. We worship Jesus Christ because he's in heaven, because he's not in the ground, because he's still alive today. If you do the research, you will find all these other leaders have been buried, and they didn't come back to life. Hinduism has all kinds of God, and they have a God, but he has bones in the ground. The point is this. It might look foolish, but it's the very power of God. Verse 24, but those who are called to salvation, called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God, and Christ is the wisdom of God. So you need to understand Christ. You need to grow in your knowledge and your identity needs to become more of who Christ is. Otherwise, you don't have the power of God and you don't have the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God, this is a plan, is wiser than the wisest human plans. And God's weakness, does God have a weakness? I have no idea, but it must. But it can't be anything that we would never know. But I'm sure there's something. I have no idea. But God's weakness is stronger than the greatest human strength. We, we could all come together and try and do something strong, and God will flick it down because even in his weakness, he's far greater than any human greatness. God's plan is still astonishing 2,023 years later. It's still astonishing. And listen, if Christ doesn't come back soon, and I, you, know, you can come back right now before second service, it's fine. We'll, we'll go right now. Let's go. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But if he doesn't, in another 2,023 years, guess what will happen? There will still be someone like me, a foolish enough to stand up and say, Christ resurrected and Christ is coming back because he's got resurrection power. And that story will go on forever. God says to us, and he's saying to you, my blood was shed so that you can have a relationship with me. My blood was shed so that I can be in a relationship with you. But he's also saying my resurrection has something even greater for you so that you're not stuck in this earthly body. I'm ready to get rid of this thing. Not today, Lord, not today. But this body's failing. And it's going to fail as we get older. That's the point. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna resurrect this body. So here's the point. The cross is God's greatest work because he sent himself, his son, to die. But the, 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 resur the resurrected empty tomb, that's his greatest legacy that will be preached for eternity. It will be preached forever. Here's the way that we live in this world. We have a tendency to think that the smartest people and the wisest people know God the best. That's just how we think as humans because that's what we see. The smartest man in the world makes a lot of money. The best doctor probably makes the most money because he's got the techniques. 
you know, Elon Musk makes a lot of money because he's got some pretty good ideas. In our world, the smartest, the wisest, they end up profiting on it, and we look to them. That's not the way it is in the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean that you can't get smart and grow in knowledge and that you can't get a degree, seminary or something. But God made his path or his plan simple. All roads don't lead to heaven. There's only one road. And that road is Jesus Christ. He is the wisdom of God. He is the power of God. The Bible says he is the truth. There's no other truth in this world. I can have my own personal truth. The only truth I really need to focus on is the truth that God has given us. He is the way. His way is the way that we should go. When you're questioning where I should go in life, I look to his way. And he is life. Listen, I thought I had a life before Jesus, but I was just living in death. He is life and life to the fullest, even in the worst moments. Do you realize 1,500 years into this, uh, into uh, the, the days after Christ, 1,500 years, nobody would ever questioned God and his wisdom. Now, there was other gods, little G gods, we would call them, but nobody ever questioned God. And then something happened in the 1500s. It was called the Gutenberg Press. And it started printing books. And from about 1562, humans then started to get smarter. And guess what they did? Started questioning. Well, the God's not real. A couple hundred years later, it starts bringing evolution because we start getting all this man knowledge or woman knowledge and head knowledge. And we start questioning. But for thousands of years, nobody ever questioned God. They all believed in some form of God. And even in the Bible, like, man, your God's more powerful than the Jews. And the, the Jews' God rose above all the other gods. But they didn't say there is no God. But as we get wiser, we start rationalizing. There can't be a God because look at how my life is. God's wisdom isn't just multiplied to the highest degree. It's a different form of wisdom. Here's what Isaiah says. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As for heavens are higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And maybe you've heard that before. But think about the struggle that you're having right now and then say it. His ways are higher. His move in your life is different. Listen, we talk to God and we struggle with God and we're talking about apples and oranges. And we debate and we theorize. We're talking, but he's talking about cherubims and angels and altars and 24 elders. And we're stuck in fruit in, grown in the, in the Pleasant Valley. It's not even in the same hemisphere or universe. It's from the heavens. And you think you can rationalize who God is. It's not possible. And so we, doesn't mean that we shouldn't go after it. It just means don't try and rationalize God because you're going to find yourself walking away from it because it's not always going to make sense. Verse 26, dear, remember, dear brothers and sisters, that's all of us, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. It's not about you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish, that's me, in order to shame those who are wise. He chose things that are powerless, that's me, to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, that's criminal, that's me. I'm just reading to myself because I see myself in this. Do you guys see yourself in here? Despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all. 
used, uh, used them to bring nothing to what the world considers important. He's like, look, I'm going to take the, the least and I'm going to make them important. Why? Here's what the verse says. As a result, no one could ever boast in the presence of God. I'm a fool to think that I have anything to offer you except Jesus Christ. On my own thinking, I get locked up and I sit in jail cells wondering, why did I do that? That's where I go. And so God in his gracious mercy gave me a Bible and gave me a plan and a path. And I made one year commitment and it's been over 20 years and I've never ever once thought this wasn't the path I should be on. The Apostle Paul is reminding the Corinthians to humble up. They're kind of feeling themselves. They're like, yeah, we're starting. They were lowly people, and now God has elevated them. And he's like, hey, it's not that you're great. It's that I'm great, and I'm making you look good in this world. Don't forget about me. Humble up. I was going to say buttercup, but you don't say that in church. So you guys can laugh. It's okay. That was funny. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you afterwards. <laughs> God loves to rebuke human wisdom. He loves to rebuke our, our thoughts and our, our reasoning. He loves to kind of put it on the sideline and, and, and just kind of challenge us. He's, he's interested in that. Verse 30, God has united you with Christ Jesus. Have you been united? He's trying to unite someone today. For our benefit, God made him, that'd be Jesus Christ, to be wisdom himself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. He freed us from sin. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only about the Lord. We are here on Easter Sunday, and I hope you know that we are boasting about the Lord. If you look at our church and you look at our power structure, Jesus Christ is the lead pastor. He's the senior pastor. He's the cornerstone and the foundation. And all of us other people are blessed to serve Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And listen, God is moving. There is something happening. People are interested. People are interested in a spiritual life. They're, they're interested. All you got to do is say, hey, are you interested in coming to church? I talked to 20 people, 25 people, and everyone said, yeah, I'm interested. Because there's a spiritual movement, an awakening of hearts and souls. The world is seeking God, and they're seeking him through, like they did in the hippie days, love and peace through all kinds of other modes and mechanisms. It's no different. It's just 50 years later. It's a different form. God is moving. Jesus shows perfectly in his teaching, in his life, God's wisdom. That's why we read the Bible. It's not because we're trying to get uh, profit off of the Bible. We don't make any money when we tell people to read the Bible. It'd be cool. It's the number one selling book and has been since they started printing it in, in 1562. It's never been even close. His wisdom is the contradiction to the human expectation. If you have expectation humanly, it's always going to let you down. But if you have hope in God, it will never let you down, even in the darkest moment. True wisdom isn't just about getting smart. It's, 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 I can gather all kinds of facts and data, but if I don't go from the head to the heart and make this, this, this stuff part of me, it's useless. It's not about fact data if you're not going to use it. 
uh, Jeremy and me were talking on Thursday, and he was talking about this word in, in Hebrew. I can't pronounce it. I'm not even going to try. Jeremy could tell you beautifully. But in Hebrew, this word wisdom means life knowledge. And do you know what that means? It means for us that as you are living your life, you are gathering data and facts about God and what he's doing. And you, as you accept Jesus and as you grow in Jesus and as you follow Jesus and you become a disciple and you make a disciple and you make disciples that make a disciple, you start to see your life kind of become something different day by day. And one day you wake up 20 years later and you're standing on a stage or you're in your kitchen talking to someone about Jesus and going, I can't believe that's me talking. I used to be the biggest, I was, I was going to say, uh, I'm not going to say it. I used to not be the best guy in the world. And now God is using me even though I'm dyslexic, I'm an addict, I've been locked up, I, I can't pass a background check. But he uses people like you and me. Here's the final thoughts about the text. This week, my wife got, uh, she was asking people to come to church, and she got this Sky Daddy thing on her Facebook from a friend. Oh, why would you believe in this scam? It's a hoax. It's Sky Daddy. It's the biggest, the foolish thing. It's about money, political power. It's foolish. He's bloodthirsty. What kind of, why would you do this? Right? You guys heard that? And here's the thing, even in Christianity, which is when you do the, when you do the work, I'm not just telling you because I'm a Christian pastor that it's, it's, it's the only faith-based thing that has the most evidence of truth, but if you look, it's a thousand times, 10,000 times, 100,000 times more valuable when you look at the truth in any other place. And I'm talking about even things that call themselves Christian. But even humans can corrupt something good in Christianity and fall and make mistakes and have affairs and steal money and do horrible things. But here's the beauty about our God. God uses his son and he takes all the broken things that have ever happened that we did, even as Christian pastors and leaders and elders, and he lets the light of Christ shine through that. He doesn't let anything go void when you follow Jesus Christ. That's the beauty of Christianity because it's not a religion. I was talking to a Jewish family recently, and I said, oh, yeah, you're a religious man. I'm like, nah, I just followed Jesus. That's it. I don't have to have a religion. Religion's dead to me. Christ is alive to me, and that's who we follow. So if you're here today, Jesus died for you to heal you. Heal you of what? Well, maybe your brain needs some sort of help. Maybe you're just stuck in a rut in your head. God wants to break free and give you a firm foundation. He wants to heal you spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He wants to break you free. And then tomorrow you got to believe in it and reapply what God did today, that firm foundation. He died for you so that you can have a relationship with the God of the universe. Could you imagine that? Think about it. He, ha he wants to have a relationship with you. God, do you even know me? He's like, yeah, I know you, Jeff. You love tacos. <laughs> he knows you and wants to have a relationship with you and me. And that's why he died. He sent his son so that we can have a relationship. And finally, he died so that I can live. And I want you guys to live. I want you to live. It's time 
because he is risen. He's risen from the grave. The tomb is empty, and Jesus is roaring in our lives. Here's some things that I've taken away from the Bible. Some of them I just put into my own words. But just going back, I put you this. If you want to read it later this week, here's what I pulled from this text. People are heading towards destruction. You can be saved and be heading towards destruction. You're not doing the principles. You're not doing the things that God has called you. You can be heading towards destruction or you're growing. My salvation, the day that I accepted Jesus, has been growing in this life knowledge, that Hebrew word for wisdom, each and every day. You're either heading one way or the other. God made it so wisdom won't get you into heaven. In, in the world's way, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Well, it's the same in, in Christianity. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Jesus Christ is the way to get you into heaven. It's not about wisdom, it's about knowing Jesus Christ. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you know him, then you have the power of God and the wisdom of God. If you don't know him, and I'm talking about you can say that I'm a believer, but you've got to learn to know him. There's all kinds of books talking about who Jesus is and what he does and how he helps us in our life. The third one is Christ makes us righteous, sanctified, and redeemed. Those are great Christian words. What do they even mean? We say them all the time. Well, the righteousness of God means right living. I'm right because I'm washed clean and my sins are no longer part of my life and so I can be right with God. Sanctify is letting those sins and those struggles burn away so that I can be right with God, so that I can be holy. And redeemed just meant I've been cleaned of sin and there's a redemption value like in those cans that we turn in. You have value. You're redeemable. And so he does that. What is foolish to humans is wise to God. The cross is the greatest work and the empty tomb is the greatest legacy. And here's the best part. He uses all of this so that you can have victory in your life today. He uses all of this so that you can have a firm foundation in who he is. He uses all of this so that you can stand up and you could come up at one point during this last song and worship Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something. This is completely different from the message. They did a study recently. This is crazy to me. And, and, and I'm getting chills just thinking about telling you this. Here's a study from 8 years old to 80 years old about people reading the Bible. This is new information about a year old, maybe less than that. And here's what they found out. If you're reading the Bible one day a week, you are on life support. If this is the only Bible that you're getting, you are on life support and it's almost flatlined. Here's what it says. If you read the Bible two times, pretty much nothing changes. Isn't that sad? Doesn't mean that you shouldn't read. If you're reading two times, but you need more. Three times, boop, there's a little bit of blip on the map. That's the study that they did. Eight years old to 80. But listen to this. This is crazy. Four times or more, Bam! Resurrection power happens if you read your Bible four days or more a week. Let me tell you the statistics they found out. This is crazy. Loneliness goes down 30% if you read your Bible four times or more. How about this? Anger go down 32%. Bitterness in relationships, 40%. Alcoholism, if you have an alcohol problem, goes down 47% by reading your Bible four days or more. Isn't that incredible? It gets even better. If you are feeling spiritually stagnant and you aren't alive in your faith, if you read your Bible four times or more, 60% uh, have a better relationship with God and their faith goes off the chart. But here's the best part. And, 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 and we're going to talk about this next week. If you read the Bible four times or more, pornography, and everybody is like, oh, I'm not doing it. Well, somebody is because it is blowing up. 
goes down 66%. 90% of people they found have a Bible, 12% read them. 12% don't read them four times or more, they just read them. But if you read them four times or more, the study says that your life will be resurrected. And this is the crazy paradox. Read the Word of God and allow it to change your life and let the resurrection power transform you. Amen? Amen. That's free today. All right, here's what you need to take away. Here's the Easter takeaway. Number one, someone in here needs to make a commitment. Do that commitment that I did. All I can do is tell you what I did. Make a commitment. Make it for a year and just say, look, I'm going to read the Bible four times or more. And I promise you, you can always go back to your miserable life. It'll be waiting there like a lion roaring to destroy you again. Make a commitment. Second thing, read your Bible. Look at those numbers. Four times or more. If you don't see that as something important, then you're dead already. Somebody... Give me some resurrection power. Read the Bible. It will change your life. And number three, be obedient. You know what my job as a pastor? This is the number one job that I've been told to do by a a coach in San Diego. Teach obedience. And you know how I teach obedience? I just try and be obedient myself and show you that if I can do it, then you can. Because I'm nothing. But God has made me something, something that I'm excited to see in the mirror today. And so, Father, we are going to stand. We are going to do baptism, second service, but we are going to stand. And if you feel led to get a firm foundation, if you feel moved by God, we're going to sing this song, Christ is our firm foundation, and we want to celebrate. So let's pray and experience Christ, and let's go out into this world and resurrect this world through Jesus Christ. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you that that person online that's weeping right now and saying, I'm going to commit. We pray for the power of Jesus to transform them. Father, if there's someone here that does know you and someone here that needs a firm foundation all they have to do is accept Jesus the Bible says in Romans 10 9 and 10 confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you shall have him and all you got to do is repeat after me father forgive me come into my heart come into my soul and be my Lord and Savior you died upon the cross for me and you rose again so that I can be with you for eternity and I thank you for that Lord Holy Spirit, take over my life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we're going to sing a song. Feel free to come up and dance and let Christ your firm foundation.